The House will return Tuesday and stay in session through Friday. The Senate will return Monday and stay in session through Thursday. This week in the House, they'll come back into session on Tuesday with the first votes as early as 7.15 p.m. At that time, the House is scheduled to take up one bill under suspension of the rules. On Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, the House is scheduled to take up 17 bills under suspension. At some point, probably on Wednesday, the House will take up H.R. 7, the Paycheck Fairness Act, and H.R. 1195, the Workplace Violence Prevention for Healthcare and Social Workers Act, and then they'll be done. This week in the Senate, they'll return on Monday with the first vote set for 5.30 p.m. At that time, the Senate will proceed to a roll call vote on cloture on the nomination of Polly Ellen Trottenberg to serve as Deputy Secretary of Transportation. Then, based on the Majority Leader's cloture filings, I think the Senate is going to consider the following nominations in the following order. Wendy Ruth Sherman to serve as Deputy Secretary of State. Gary Gensler to be a member of the Securities and Exchange Commission for the remainder of the term expiring June, 20, June 5, 2021. Brenda Mallory to serve as a member of the Council on Environmental Quality. Majority Leader Schumer also filed cloture on the motion to proceed to S-937. That's the COVID-19 Hate Crimes Act introduced by Hawaii Democrat Senator Maisie Hirono. Now to stealing a House seat on Wednesday, March 31, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy visited Iowa with freshman Republican Congresswoman Marionette Miller-Meeks, who won the contest in Iowa's 2nd Congressional District by just six votes. Miller-Meeks's victory was being challenged by Iowa Democrat Rita Hart, who had lost to Miller-Meeks. On the very same day that McCarthy visited Iowa to show support for Miller-Meeks, Hart announced that she would concede defeat and withdraw her challenge. Now to vacancies. On Tuesday, April 6th, Florida Democrat Congressman Alcee Hastings, the dean of the Florida delegation and the only man I know of who was elected to the House of Representatives after having been impeached and convicted and removed from his position as a federal judge, died at the age of 84. His passing expanded to six, the number of vacancies in the House of Representatives. One of those vacancies will be filled this week when Julia Letlow, the widow of the late representative-elect Luke Letlow, takes office representing Louisiana's 5th Congressional District. After she is sworn in, there will be 218 Democrats and 212 Republicans in the House with five remaining vacancies. Four vacancies in seats that previously had been held by Democrats and one vacancy in a seat that had been held most recently by a Republican. Now to court packing. On Friday, President Biden announced the formation of a 36-member commission to figure out if and how he can do what even the sainted Democratic President Franklin Delano Roosevelt could not, to wit, pack the Supreme Court with additional liberal justices so as to reverse the ideological balance on the court. Of course, that's not how the White House phrased it in the press release. And what's particularly odd is that in the executive order establishing the commission, the commission is not set to issue specific recommendations at the end of the 180 days the study will take. Instead of issuing recommendations, the commission will issue a research paper. The executive order tasks the commission with examining the history of the Supreme Court, past changes to the process for nominating justices, and what might be the potential consequences of altering the number of justices on the Supreme Court. In addition, the commission will also consider the idea of term limits for the justices. The Constitution does not set the number of justices on the Supreme Court. The Constitution is, in fact, totally silent on the question. But the number has been set at nine by statute since 1869. 
And we've told you previously about Texas Republican Senator Ted Cruz's nine is fine constitutional amendment to set the number of justices on the court at nine to prevent the Congress from messing with it. That amendment has 17 co-sponsors. By coincidence, just a few days before President Biden issued the executive order establishing this commission, Justice Stephen Breyer, at 82, the oldest member of the court and one of the three liberal justices, warned that efforts to pack the court would not be helpful. Quote, I hope and expect that the court will retain its authority, he said to Harvard Law students. But that authority, like the rule of law, depends on trust, a trust that the court is guided by legal principle, not politics. Structural alteration motivated by the perception of political influence can only feed that perception, further eroding that trust, end quote. Now to backlash against the Georgia election law reforms. On Friday, April 2nd, Rob Manfred, the commissioner of Major League Baseball, announced that in response to the enactment of voting law reforms in Georgia, Major League Baseball would withdraw the MLB All-Star Game from Atlanta. And then a few days later, MLB announced it would relocate the All-Star Game to Denver. Jenny Beth published a column at Town Hall yesterday about this decision. You can find it in the suggested reading. Georgia removed its requirement for signature verification. Colorado still requires it for mail-in ballots. Georgia allows 17 days of early voting. Colorado only allows 15. Georgia does not allow third parties to hand out food and water to voters waiting in line within 150 feet of a polling place. Colorado similarly restricts handing out food and water, but sets the limit at 100 feet. But that's less than the distance from the pitcher's mound to home plate. So is the difference really that much? Stay tuned. This battle has only just begun. It's not just MLB versus Georgia. There will be other corporations again involved, and there will be other states that are targeted. Now to gun control. On Thursday, in response to two mass shootings last month, President Biden announced a series of executive actions on gun control. He issued new rules on so-called ghost guns, that is, firearms that are assembled at home, which have no serial numbers and are harder to track. He directed the Justice Department to draft a new rule to regulate a device that can turn a pistol into the equivalent of a short-barreled rifle. He also directed DOJ to draft a new template that states could use to implement so-called red flag laws. Now to using a budget resolution again and again. Last Monday, Senate parliamentarian Elizabeth McDonough ruled that Senate Democrats can reuse the already passed fiscal year 2021 budget resolution by amending it and thereby use the reconciliation process again to pass a second large piece of legislation with essentially the same resolution. That means President Biden's two-stage infrastructure package could pass with just 50 votes and Vice President Harris's tie-breaking vote. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer could use the fiscal year 2022 budget resolution for the second half of the infrastructure passage or package, or he could simply amend the FY21 budget resolution a second time and use it for a third reconciliation bill. There are still questions about this ruling. It's never been done before, and we have not heard directly from the parliamentarian. Instead, we learned of this ruling courtesy of a spokesman for Schumer. So we don't know if there's a limit on how many times the budget resolution could be amended to set new reconciliation targets, for instance. Can it be done more than once? That would seem a reasonable inference based on what we've been told. Here's what we do know. It will take up floor time. Every time a budget resolution passes and a reconciliation bill is drafted, that requires a voterama in the Senate. So if Schumer decides to bring the infrastructure package to the floor using the, using the reconciliation process, that will mean two more voteramas. 
And that's two more votaramas for every time he chooses to amend that budget resolution and pass a reconciliation bill. So if he tries to bring both halves of the infrastructure package to the floor under reconciliation, that would mean four votaramas. Now to defending the filibuster. On Wednesday of last week, West Virginia Democrat Senator Joe Manchin published an op-ed in the Washington Post. In it, he wrote, quote, the filibuster is a critical tool to protecting that input in our democratic form of government. That is why I have said it before and will say it again to remove any shred of doubt. There is no circumstance in which I will vote to eliminate or weaken the filibuster. The time has come to end these political games and to usher a new era of bipartisanship where we find common ground on the major policy debates facing our nation, end quote. He then went on to point out that on the two most recent attempts to change the rules of the filibuster, that is in 2013, when then Majority Leader Harry Reid lowered the threshold to a simple majority for confirmation of cabinet members and non-Supreme Court judicial appointments, and then in 2017, when then Majority Leader Mitch McConnell lowered the threshold to a simple majority for Supreme Court appointments, Manchin had voted against changing the rules. And then he turned his attention to the ruling early in the week by the Senate parliamentarian regarding reusing an amended budget resolution. Quote, I simply do not believe budget reconciliation should replace regular order in the Senate. How is that good for the future of this nation? Senate Democrats must avoid the temptation to abandon our Republican colleagues on important national issues. Republicans, however, have a responsibility to stop saying no and participate in finding real compromise with Democrats. End quote. Stay tuned. The Manchin Show will be one of the keys to the enactment of the Biden agenda. And finally, to reparations. On Wednesday, the House Judiciary Committee will hold a markup on H.R. 40, a bill that would establish a commission to examine the history of slavery in America and develop proposals for reparations. If the bill comes out of committee, it could be set for consideration soon on the House floor. Though a similar measure has been introduced in a prior Congress, it has never before made it out of committee. And that's our Washington Report for this week.